Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. It's good enough. Is that a, is that a, well, are you ready to go now or is it, yeah? Ready to go. Okay. Shoot. Well, yeah, like I said, just, just the 17 minutes late. Don't worry about it. Myself and Porik can hold on. Not, it's on, not like it's we've not got like anything have... better. Not like we've got anything yeah. better to do, right? Come on, it's not like you're going anywhere. Mm-mm. Well, that's true. Hey, Porik, I got a question for you. Um, have you ever heard of Luther Vandross? Uh, yes, but only because he gets mentioned on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, no, that's good enough. You've heard of Luther Vandross. How about the Gap Band? Uh, they're a rap band, no? No, no, no. Like it's with Charlie Wilson, sort of an old R and B one. Right, no, yeah, yeah. I think I've. Do you know that uh, YouTube show, the one with the, the hot wings? Yeah. <laughs> I think Idris Elba was on it before, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm a big Gap Band fan." That, I think that's the only time I've heard of them as well. Okay. Great show, though. So you've so you, well, you've heard the Gap Band. Now, Joanna, uh, have you ever heard of Luther Vandross, Joanna? I did on Monday when you sent me something about it. And the Gap Band? You ever heard of the Gap Band at all? No, no, I didn't. And did you know what her excuse for not knowing uh, who these bands were was? Was because uh, she's from Brazil. <laughs> well, that music was her is excuse. universal, no? Yeah, because yeah. you know, well, music just didn't make it to Brazil. Did you ever hear about Chico Buarque? Did you ever hear about Roberto Gil? So there you go. I'm going to shock you, Joanna, and say yes. Yes, Boris! <laughs> made, made it. They made it here. They, okay, he, but... She. Okay. <laughs> uh, I got one more question for both of you. Have you heard of Little Uzi Vert? Oh, uh, what? No, no. <laughs> I'm afraid that one's even gone on me. Okay. He uh, is a rapper, right? And I can't get over this. He's a rapper and he put a, a, a diamond. He got a diamond embedded into the centre of his head. Where it's a pink one. Worth 24 million. In the centre of his head? In the centre of his head. He's got like oh a, this God. sort of diamond embedded in there. And it's worth 24 million. It's like oh, a Lord. James Bond villain. That's, that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Who gets a diamond? Like, I mean, 24 million diamonds. Maybe it's a publicity stunt. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's, uh, it's the new look. And uh, I'd appreciate next time we're all on Zoom together that you could all have uh, diamonds in the center of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That's what I'm going to do when I have the money for it. Yeah. Porig, I think maybe best for us to go for the emeralds rather than diamonds. Oh, yes. Yeah. That'd be a good look, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, joining me, Ian McCord, on today's One Football podcast is Porig Whelan. Hello. And Joanna Bueno. Hello. Remember, it's Mondays for the Premier League podcast with Dan Burke, although it was Wednesday this week. And it's Wednesdays for the Women's Football podcast with Angelina Kelly, although that was maybe Thursday this week. And Thursdays, of course, for the World War with myself. Uh, the feed remains the same. The email remains the same. If you want to get in touch, uh, send any comments, any music recommendations, or you too have a diamond in the centre of your head and you want to send us a picture <laughs> so that we could see it at podcast1football.com. Now, Porig, a few weeks ago, I think the last time you were on chatting about Serie A, uh, not about that other club, uh, we both said we're not going to get our hopes up for Roma, right? We now, did. We did, right? And But in your halftime scorecard for Serie A, when you, which you wrote the other day, you said they often disappoint just when you begin to believe. But with this Roma side, there's every reason to think they can exercise some of the ghosts of the past. Come on then, Porik. Why, yeah. should, why should we be getting our hopes up here? Because it's Roma. 
They're going to let us down. Exactly, and that's why I'm still not not sure that we should. But they, I mean, aside from a few stupid things that are like the most classic Roma, Roma doing Roma things ever. Like twice this season, they've lost games. Well. They lost one game for fielding an ineligible player, <laughs> and then they, in the Coppa Italia game against Spezia, they accidentally put on too many substitutes. So it was a good thing they lost the game on the pitch fair and square because it would probably have been taken away from them uh, after it anyway. So you do still have these classic Roma moments in there, but uh, yeah, they've they've looked really good, and it's only been. Like the, some of the best teams in the league that have managed to beat them this season, that like I think they've only lost to Napoli, Atalanta, and Lazio. The only games that they've lost, and but they have also been destroyed in all of those games as well, which is a bit of a worry. But they just look a lot more uh, consistent than they have in maybe a lot of the last. 20 years since the last one in the league uh, The reason we are getting excited is because they're currently third just six points behind um, Milan and four behind Inter uh, on the same amount of games of course Juve in, still in fourth with a game in hand and just with a point behind Roma uh, but what the, what's gone into that consistency is that is that just a, a, a more overall thing or have they got a more solid squad or, or what's the sort of thinking behind it Well I think like, the league this season's a lot more open than it has been maybe since Juve started off the winning run about nine years ago it just seems like especially among among the top six seven teams in the league like they are all just capable of taking points off each other every week and I think Roma have been kind of one of the have benefited from that more than a lot of teams in the fact that they haven't panicked like I thought they, they maybe would have done the, the new owners came in uh, before the start of the season like on the eve of the season pretty mm. much and they've kind of stuck with Fonseca even though he had a he had a decent first season not anything spectacular and he's not really I don't think there's any kind of real connection or bond yet with him and um, and the fans but they've kind of stuck with him and he's he's repaid them a little bit whether he actually stays into the summer or they go with somebody else um, longer term that kind of remains to be seen but I think it's it's more so just the fact that the league um, has kind of played into their hands a little bit as well and they've kind of taken full advantage of it Um, Fonseca is of course a a relic of the previous regime isn't he? Yeah yeah. and I think the fans would be quite happy to have any kind of uh, remnants of the Paulotta regime in the past but uh, he's he's not done not done too badly I don't think I think uh, it's maybe issues away from tactics or the his results on the field that may end up coming back to bite him Right uh, there's a lot of talk of Allegri Yeah that's that seems to be one of the biggest coincidences ever but there's quite a few reports that it was a genuine coincidence that Roma's one of Roma's directors was in a hotel uh, last week that Allegri was in mm. and they were caught kind of leaving this hotel, both of them, on the same day. But it turns out that Allegri was uh, genuinely just in the hotel meeting some friends from the football world, apparently, to, to have lunch. And it it kind of got made into a story that wasn't really a story. And I think Allegri, for all that we're praising Roma, I think his stock is still probably a lot higher than taking the Roma job and he probably quite fancies I think a go in England next 
So no Allegri next season. That's what you're telling me. No Allegri, okay. but who would be, maybe no Fonseca? Who knows? Who would be say if Fonseca goes? And it, and it makes sense that you know a uh, new regime would want their own man in place. Um, are there any other names being thrown about that are that, that's not Allegri? Not particular. That's kind of the the oh. only one. I think they're kind of waiting to see how the season probably pans out. But he's he's had a massive fight with a. Uh, with Jekyll and he's been stripped of the captaincy over it and he's uh, he is still one of Roma's best players so if it comes down to a fight between the two of them you kind of don't know what way that will pan out they did try to get rid of him in January but they tried hard to get yeah, rid of him yeah they were even going to take Alexis Sanchez to, to Rome that's how desperate they were to get rid of him but <laughs> yeah it didn't didn't manage to come through so maybe by the end, by the start of next season, both of them will be gone, which I think might be the likeliest thing that comes out of it. What was the what was the fallout over? Nobody actually knows. This is this is a strange thing. It's there's nobody's. It's not kind of leaked out over what the actual reason is, which is quite surprising, especially big club like Roma. You'd think something would come out, but they've had they had a a major falling out and training over something anyway and yeah they've taken the, the captaincy away from them now which I think is probably the out I think when you think of Roma it should always be a a local like a Roman boy mm. that's that's the captain you had Totti for years then De Rossi, De Rossi and mm. Florenzi after him and then they've got a boy Lorenzo Pellegrini who's probably their best player who's there and tailor made for it so I think he should be he is like the rightful Roma captain anyway for me um, is Chris Smalling is still there? He is. How's he getting on? He's not not been as good this season as he was in his first season. Um, but that's probably more down to the fact that some of the other centre backs that have come in, like Banyes, has come in and he's been really impressive. Um, Mancini as well has really kind of developed. Uh, kind of becoming the player that people thought he would be at Atalanta this season. So I don't think it's so much that Smalling's been poor this season I think that just the, there's a few other centre backs in the team that are really starting to, to come out of their shell and shine so, but he's, yeah he's doing well um, so you mentioned Pellegrini is one of the, the, the standout performers um, so far this season um, any, anybody else I, I mean Henrik Mkhitaryan looks like a, a player reborn uh, at Roma yeah I mean he's the by far and away, I think the best player this season. I think he's what well, we're just over the halfway point and he's got nine goals and eight assists, which is a really good return for for a midfielder who maybe I think a lot of people when they signed him thought that this was just Roma. You know, one of those signings that they bring in the big name like they did with Pastore and it's really not worked out with him, but Mikatarian's kind of an anything but like he is he's the main man um in that team. Pellegrini, like I mentioned as well, has been he's really good. Um the two centre backs obviously mentioned Zagnolo is like obviously a big talent, but he's done mm. his ACL for like the second time, which is a real It's a heartbreaking a real isn't shame. It? Yeah, mm. especially for a guy so young and And so talented. Yeah, he's like kinda of carrying the hopes of, of that team. I mean you think that Roma kinda of got him just because Inter were so desperate to sign Nangalan and kinda of threw him into that deal is like a makeshift him plus money they've come out of that deal absolutely laughing over it now I'd say but yeah there's a lot of, lot of good players I think the only weakness in that team is probably goalkeeper they're still not really settled on one I think Marante and Lopez have both played 
Um, a fair bit of games between them and Lopez. They spent big money on him last year, but he's been really disappointing. Like, so I think they'll probably go for Calgary in the summer, and he's like oh, another one of the the many, many goalkeepers in Serie A who's carried the new Buffon uh, tag for a while. But he'll, uh, I think he'll probably go there in the summer and he'll be a good long-term addition. This is a good question. Right? We'll get back to Roman in a second. But what, you know the way you, you said there's like there's the new Buffon and Joanna, you might be able to jump in on this. Like, you know, or there's like a new Messi you know, there's always like, like what player has, like what player do you think has been the newest, the most? Have we had the newest, the, the most new Messi's or the most new, you know, Ronaldo's or the most new Pele's or? I, I think Messi passed Pele there because up until a few years ago, everyone in Brazil would be the new Pele. Mm-hmm. But I think like every single Argentinian that scores three goals before they're 18, it's already the new Messi. <laughs> 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 it might be right. There are a lot of new Buffons, though. There have been for a long time. It's insane. And the old Buffon is still going as well. I know. So, but yeah, I mean, you remember some of it was like that Simone Scuffet and stuff at Udinese, like but eight years ago when the guy. He'd only played like one game when he was 16, and he was he was another one that got labelled <laughs> with it. And I think he's in Serie B now. So. There have been a couple of new Zudans as well. You think it, yeah, yeah. Gorkouf, Gorkouf in, in oh, France. Yeah, uh, he when, was, when he joined Milan, he was supposed to be oh, he, the Kaká replacement. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I mean, replacing Kaká is hard, as everybody knows. I'm a huge fan, but uh, Gorkouf, Gorkouf was good. He was very, very good. I know some things went wrong there, you know, along the way. He, and he played very well in Bordeaux, I have to say. He didn't really have an amazing season there and, mm-hmm. you know, a few other good seasons, but not a caca. No, not quite a caca. How but, come you never get, like, the new Kevin Prince boy? Anyway? How come <laughs> nobody ever, like, likens anybody to these guys? Uh, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? They, they, yeah. they just want to be the fancy players. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was great at Bordeaux, but it was—I think it was just once. Was it just one season at Bordeaux? Maybe two. I want to say. He 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 won the title in mm-hmm. one season, and he was the man of the season. And but I think he stayed there for a couple of seasons more. If I'm not mistaken. Is that when he scored that great goal where he? Just, oh, that was ridiculous! Yeah, it's the greatest goal at Bordeaux. Honestly, the greatest goal I've ever seen. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, outside of the foot, all oh, that, oh, everything about that. Okay, uh, getting back to Roma, you think maybe with a couple of signings, a decent goalkeeper, Porik, um, let's say we don't expect him to chance for the title this season, but maybe with a couple of extra signings next season, could be. Yeah, yeah I think they could. I think this season, if they get into the Champions League, that would be a big. That'd be a success for them. Yeah, it'd be a big success, but uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to ever tip the the two Rome clubs to to go on and and go over the line and win a title just because of how how big the disparity is, like financially and stuff between them and the rest. Although I did see today that the Lazio president has offered the team four hundred thousand euros each if they can manage to win the league this year as a bonus, which is quite big. I think he's offered like three million to the squad as well if they can just beat Bayern Munich to to share that among them. So maybe if Roma uh, do something similar with incentive across the city, then then they can really give the players that extra motivation. Napoli, thirty-seven points, game in hand. 
you never know. Milan have stumbled a little bit recently. You, I don't you, was... ju- you just think if anyone's going to do it, it's you just can never rely on. Although they bought well in January as well. I mean that mm. Reynolds coming in, he's I've not seen much from obviously, and but he's uh, he comes with like a really big reputation, and then. El Shirawi coming back is a guy like I really like. I think he's he'll come in and hit the ground running there probably. So not the title, not the title. I just can just I could never Roma could be <laughs> last game of the season and they might only need a draw to win it and I would always would always be on edge much as you'd love them to do it. Um they play Juventus this Saturday. Yes, could be a good game. The the first game this season was actually it was really entertaining. Um, Wait, is that the one in which Saniola got injured originally? No, no I might be thinking otherwise. But yeah, anyway, so uh, a pretty decent game then going into the weekend and could easily define either side's second half of the season. It could, uh, it could, but I think it won't just because if you look at the Serie A calendar for me, it is absolutely insane. Like you yeah. have... Um, Milan, I think, are playing against Atalanta the last game, but the week before that, uh, you've got the, the Milan play Juve like four weeks to go. Then the week after that, Juve play Inter like two weeks to go, and then uh, Inter play Roma like the second. It's insane the amount of like big teams that play each other, like all Whoa. really close in in the running. So mm, I'm looking at it right now: Roma, yeah. Roma, Lazio, and Juve Inter. And Milan Cagliari on the second last weekend of the yeah, of this season. It's wow. crazy. Okay, and then into Roma the week before. Oh, there's a lot to go. And then even going into the last weekend, do you think if Milan are are on top of the league or need to win it, the fact that they have to go to Atalanta and they really don't like each other, uh, that should be a lot of fun. I can imagine Atalanta would like to stop a title party in, in Yeah, in exactly. Milan. Exactly. <laughs> um so we're halfway through the season uh as your as your piece today was was saying. Um let's just get a quick rundown of of some things so far. The best team to watch? Uh I would say it's hard to not say the two Milan clubs just because they're so exciting mm. uh, going forward and even Inter have got a bit poor at the back recently but they're still so exciting but if you want someone like away from the the main kind of usual suspects then Sassuolo are amazing they're like diet Atalanta almost mm, nice 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 and the disappointment of the season uh, I would say losing Papu Gomez from the league that's been really oh, just so disappointing like he's one of the most fun guys in the whole league to watch and just for him to leave over something so stupid and kind of bring an end to this amazing fairy tale that they've had and doing so well in the Champions League and he's a really not only a great player but he's a real fun character and stuff if people now if you follow him on Instagram you'll know he's he's a good laugh oh he's worth the uh, follow oh he's worth the follow he's oh good. okay let me check that out Joanna a, you can check that he's out he's a good laugh yeah so. I will yeah, it's just that's that's really disappointing that we won't. I'll have to watch La Liga now if I want to get my. Uh, <laughs> he says it like he's so annoyed. Yeah, like um, La Liga, that uh, Liga I've never heard about. I know the shame. Uh, so I'll, yeah, let me give him the follow right now because there's not many football. He's got two point four million followers. 
Oh yes, he's oh, wow. he's a social media sensation. Oh, and he's already updated his his bio to say Jugador uh, de oh, Football a Sevilla. Oh, he's moved on quickly. He's moved on, hasn't he, poor lad? Yeah. I'm sure he'll be happy in Sevilla. Uh, if if anybody has any other footballers that they recommend following on on uh, Instagram, that would be handy. Um, I Richarlison. Yeah, he's good too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure on the Instagram, but on Twitter, he's amazing. <laughs> Okay. Well, no, I, I specifically need to up my Instagram game. So, um, because was you know, it when Neymar was like doing a Twitch or something as well, wasn't he with Richarlison? And he'd accidentally, whatever way he was showing it on the screen, Richarlison's phone number yes, he came off on yeah. the screen. <laughs> really? And he had to like change his number because he was just, his phone got destroyed in the space of about like, 10 minutes. <laughs> I think. Poor guy. Uh, yeah. Surprised at this season, Porg? Uh, I'd say Benevento have actually been mm. been really good. Like if I'm not sure if people remember, like they've only been in Serie A once before. It was like four years ago, and it took them like oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was ridiculous. They lost like their first ten games, eleven games, and that was the one. Their first ever point was they were drawn. Uh, they were losing two one against Milan, and their goalkeeper came up for the, oh, the yeah. uh, free kick in the last minute, and the goalkeeper scored the diving header. But yeah, they've already picked up more points actually the, already this season than they did the whole of that season last time, and Inzaghi's kind of doing doing a really good job. So they look actually well on track to stay up, which yeah, is a surprise. Comfortably mid table there. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're doing all right. They make it dragged. Even Spezia as well. Quite surprising that they've. That they are not sitting bottom on like six points above one Torino. But look, we won't mention that. Uh, above we won't, Torino, we won't, that. we won't mention that. Come on, we'll keep that quiet. And uh, a prediction for the second half of the season. Uh, if I say our Milan club will win the league, is that too? That no, we'll, we'll, we'll let you give you that. We'll, we'll give you that. Okay. Um, uh, Joanna, uh, I, I wanted to talk about Copa Libertadores, and uh, but first, can you can you tell that story of why that guy uh, got sent off in the regional Brazilian league? Because <laughs> I think okay. this this might have passed a few people by. Okay, so it's the second division of the Rio League, so Rio State. And he scores a goal and he qualifies the team for the first division. And for those very, very small teams in Brazil, the state tournament is everything they have. Usually these players, they have a job for three, four months during the regional tournament and then they're unemployed. Uh, so if they so if they get they get promoted to playing against like Flamengo and they get promoted to play against Flamengo, Vasco, Fluminense, Botafogo. So they get promoted to make money because they don't usually do so. You know, some TV broadcasting rights, uh, right. sponsors, and you know it's a big deal. So that sounds like something you should celebrate properly, right? It sounds like something you should celebrate properly. So what did so, he do? He thought celebrating properly was removing his shorts, <laughs> was lowering his shorts. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like, of course, he got sent off for that because he oh, showed his dude. ass. <laughs> and then he they went to sports trial and everything, and he got an eight-match suspension, <laughs> so he might as well just miss the whole tournament. <laughs> <laughs> because first the teams the, the small teams they play themselves and then a few teams qualify to play in the final round with the big ones and he might just miss this final round oh that's a bit can you can he appeal it at least 
Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think he appealed already. I'm not sure. But the thing is that after that, he just said to the media, like, I was just so happy. I wasn't really thinking, but I learned my lesson. <laughs> I really hope he did. Yeah, I bet he'll never do that again. Oh, God. And the best thing is that there's pictures of him, like, putting his shorts back. And he's completely out of shape. He doesn't look like a, <laughs> a professional athlete at all. Like, what called my attention is that he's got this beer belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the ass being shown. It's the beer belly. Oh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, in, in more professional football, you said it would be Palmeiras winning the Copa Libertadores, uh, and so it proved to be. Uh, let's say it wasn't the greatest uh, final of all time, right? Oh, it's more like the worst, right? Oh, yeah, I, I was going to say it was the worst match I've seen since uh, the Champions League final, Liverpool Tottenham. But then that Champions League final started with the goal, so at least <laughs> it got bad after the goal. Oh, but that's a good question, though. What's the worst match you've ever seen? That that Liverpool Spurs oh. one was pretty terrible. Yeah, but I think this one is like top five. The, the, this Copa Libertadores is top five. Not only because it was bad as in like Liverpool Tottenham, it was just like them passing the ball, trying to do nothing. But mm -hmm. at least they were passing the ball. Uh, Palmeiras Santos this weekend, they didn't even pass the ball. It was like <laughs> one pass and a foul and then you, sh you just kicked someone. They were in the floor for five minutes and foul, foul, foul. Like the ball or uh, like... Uh, outside of the pitch mm -hmm. the, the ball wouldn't roll it was it was so bad uh, Porik what's the worst game you've ever seen oh I'd have to think you'll have to, might have to come back to me I'm, okay you, you want to have a think trying to any maybe any old firm defeat I imagine uh, well yeah but I, I thought I thought we were going boring boring oh, okay. yeah, yeah, no, go on, yeah go boring then well uh, I don't know I, I mean you'll probably remember a lot of the Ireland ones too mm. uh God, anything with Ireland. Like, anything with yeah. Ireland over the last three years. Trapatoni and some of that football was... Oh, oh, poisonous. Yeah, that was pretty bad, actually. Let's let's not get too stuck down with that because uh, we'll all get depressed. Um, was it because of the kickoff time and the fact that Santos have played like 55 games or something ridiculous since last July? Yeah, I think it has a lot of factors. It was the kickoff time. It was 35 degrees in Rio, middle of the afternoon. What? 35 degrees? Yes. On the summer, in Rio summer, 35 Jesus. degrees in the middle of the afternoon. It was a hot weekend. And they it's the end of the season. This season that we've talked about so many times that, you know, a lot of matches. They're playing matches every three days almost. Um, Santos doesn't have such a big squad that they can rotate as much as Palmeiras, for example, or other clubs in Brazil. So they were pretty much at their very edge. But I think this has to do also with how much they tried and how... Uh, much of effort they put in the semi-final and we've seen that for example in this Champions League that I just mentioned that the semi-finals were so amazing that you're expecting this amazing final and then it's like okay let's let's be careful and everyone is too careful so finals especially one match final where you don't have two legs mm. they have been that for a while lately like even the the Bayern uh, PSG that wasn't great. To, yeah, that wasn't great either. I didn't. You know, so after much. an eight two or after three new in the semifinal, you were expecting a, an amazing match. Two of the best teams that Bayern is, you know, humiliating everyone. And it was just like, yeah, this is it. But that's often the way with finals, isn't it? That they, you know, you've got a lot more to lose. 
Yeah, it's been like that recently, I have to say. It didn't used to be like that. In, well, now I'm going to sound like I'm an old person. You are. But okay. <laughs> like in the 70s, 80s, oh. or even the 90s, you wouldn't see it like that. I think it was a different mentality as in, this is our final, let's just go in and you know give it all. And now it's more like, oh, this the other team is also good, so we have to be careful about them, or they study the other team too much. I don't know. I, I'm guessing... You can see in the World Cup finals. I mean, of course, in the last one, it was a huge discrepancy between the two teams. So, you know, France did what they want. Mm -hmm. But in the previous World Cup finals, oh, my God, what were that? Like Argentina and, and Germany or even Netherlands and Spain. Those were not great matches. I remember the worst match I've ever seen. Which cool. one? The 2003 Champions League final. With oh, oh, Milan Juve. Juve. Milan, I was going to say that when Podrick was thinking about his, I was going to mention this one. That was shite. <laughs> I mean, what's, what makes it even worse is the quality that was in both sides. Like if, like it was Maldini, it was Pirlo, it was Seedorf, it was Rui Costa, Shevchenko, Inzaghi, all of these players. Yeah, I'm sure you, who was, there, who was on Juventus that day? Buffon was there, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Zambr- like Del Piero, Zamprada, Trezeguet. Zamprada, Trezeguet, Davids, probably. Nedved was suspended for the fight. Oh, of course. No, uh, that's, this match. For all of that, for the, for the, relative to the quality available, that's why that's one of the worst matches I've ever seen. I, I have a story about this match. Oh, yeah. I was actually, it, it was showing on cable TV in Brazil and cable went off like, 10 minutes before the kickoff and I went crazy and I was calling the customer service <laughs> like this is not possible I, I want my money back I want the, the thing to be back and then they were like no nah, it's going to come back in 10 minutes oh it's going to come back in one hour and then I lost the final and I was uh, like super upset angry as hell and then I decided not to check the, the results you know internet wasn't so big back then so it was easy I decided not to check the results and to Sorry, watch the match what's easy? No, internet was not oh, so okay, big, oh, okay, so it yeah, was yeah. easy not finding out the results. Okay, yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah. you're gonna get a push on your phone, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I decided not to check the results and check when the the match was gonna be replayed on TV. And I waited until then, and I watched the replay. And I was like, "This is what I've been waiting for." <laughs> that like single-handedly kept the boring negative Syria stereotype going for like at least another ten years. I think that game. Oh god. Thanks yeah. a lot, Milan and Yeah, That that was pretty terrible. Um the I guess there's not too many t- talking points from the game, Joanna. <laughs> No, not. No. I mean, <laughs> the, the players I was expecting to perform well, they didn't. I mean, everything we've been saying. Well, the main talking point is that one of the players that is one of the best players in, in Palmeiras, one of the best players in Brazil, and we thought he was going to be like elected the best one in Libertadores. He actually didn't, but he still performed really well. He did that long ball that ended up in the goal. The the one goal in the 100 and whatever minute it was that made me f- thankfully not have to watch an extra time yeah. on that. This is uh, Honey that you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, Honey. So he made an amazing... It was the only play in the whole match that was worth watching was that long ball in uh, Breno Lopez's head and the goal. Yeah, there's a great story behind Breno Lopez too, isn't there? 
There is, there is. He actually came to Palmeiras at the end of last season. I think it was November. He was playing in a small team in the second division called Juventude. And it's a very traditional team, but they've never been big. They've played first division a few times and they were fighting to qualify for first division. So he was doing super well and he was helping the team reach the, you know, qualification, uh, the promotion spots. And he was hired in November after the new coach in Palmeiras arrived because one of their main players got injured he was out of the season I think it was a ligament thing and you know nobody knew about this guy or you know gave him any credit and he didn't really have a lot of chances in Palmeiras since but then he comes in in the second half in the end of the second half scores a goal Mm. And Juventude actually got promoted uh, in the last uh, uh, last match day of the second division, and they have a campaign on their social media to renew the lighting in the stadium because they're going to play first division now. They're going to play the big teams. You know, they need to. Well, if Corona and allows it, they need to have people in their stadium to get some money out of it. So they have this whole campaign, and after the the winning goal of the Libertadores was scored by someone that was in their team three months ago, they actually posted, "Hey, Palmeiras fans, how about contributing to our campaign and donating <laughs> some money for our lighting?" And they got a lot of money after that. Did they really? Yeah, I mean, well, they fantastic. didn't release how much, but they said that it, it it increased a lot after the goal. Oh wow, that's quite good. Yeah, um, I'm guessing the Palmeiras fans uh, respected social distancing and uh, <laughs> wore, wore masks and celebrated uh, um, responsibly. Is that right? Yeah, especially in the the stadium because I was here last week saying that you know they released ten percent of the stadium mm-hmm. for people to uh, invite the clubs to invite guests and this and that, and I was thinking that all these people they were gonna go to Morocco, they were gonna be spread out in the stadium because it's a huge stadium, but no, they were just in one little spot, everyone together, and it was embarrassing. I mean, after the match and in the streets, I mean, give them some credit. It's like the Liverpool fans, right? You've been waiting for the Premier League for 20 years. You're not going to go celebrate. But in the stadium, you could have organized it better. You could have not given out so many tickets or so many spots. It was very, very embarrassing. Okay, so off they go to the Club World Cup, uh, the I guess they take it seriously, don't they? Because they like the because Brazilians like the competition and they like to win. Um, can they beat Bayern? Because we're we're assuming they're going to get to the final. Okay, assuming they're going to get to the final and that well, Bayern's going to get to the final, but Bayern has an easier way. Palmeiras has to face probably Tigers from Mexico, but they still play one match before uh, Tigres play one match before, and then mm. if they win, they play Palmeiras. So Tigres is we- no pushover, by the way. It's not. Uh, uh, Gignac is is in Tigres right now, the the French striker. Exactly. So it's a good team. Um, You know, Brazilian teams have fallen in the semifinal of the Club World Cup a few times before and to teams that were not as good as Tigres. So (laughs) we're... we always say like, oh, this happened once, you know, the, the teams are vaccinated against that. No, they're not. You know, they, they usually don't take the semifinal so seriously. They think they're in the final already. But let's hope that Palmeiras does and that they face Bayern. Um, I think, of course, Bayern is a much better team, even if the Bayern that we see now is not the Bayern that we saw six months ago. 
But and of course, Palmeiras is going to have a lot more motivation because they really want to win it a lot more than Bayern do. But I, I, I would say, I wouldn't say they don't stand a chance. They are a good team. They have really good players. They can do just like that amazing uh, long ball from mm-hmm. from Honey. They can do one really good play. We know that Bayern's defense is their weakness right now. And Luis Adriano, for example, is very fast and is very talented. He can dribble past a Boateng in one minute. So they stand a chance, but Bayern is still pretty much favored. Okay. Um the I mean the the story of the the amateur player getting his beer belly out is is quite nice and we we love all of that. Uh but there's an even better story uh, in the shape of uh Chapecoense. Um who if you've not followed them uh, I mean obviously most famous for the for the the tragic crash. Uh but uh they've come through and they have a a pretty heartwarming story you want to know. Yeah, Chapecoense is the I've, everyone's second team in Brazil since the plane crash. Well, actually, oh, really? Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah, actually before the plane crash, because their story was already amazing before the plane crash. They came from nowhere, from a city no one had ever heard about, and they went from the fourth to the first division in four years, and they stayed in the first division, and they stayed well in the first division, and in a few years after, they qualified for a, a continental tournament, the Sudamericana, which is like the Europa League in, in South America. So that's already an amazing story. Then the plane crash came before the final of the Sudamericana. So, you know, you can't, I'm sorry, everyone that, you know, works in cinema, in theater, is a writer, you cannot write a story like that. Mm-mm. This is better than any movie, than any theater play. I mean, the football is just incomparable. And, you know, they had the crash and they, of course, they lost all of the squads, the technical staff, but they managed to struggle in the first division for a few more years. Last year, they got relegated. So this year, they were playing the second division and they were there, you know, following like first, second, third place. We knew at some point they were going to get promoted. So they got promoted. It was amazing. It was a beautiful party. Uh, Everyone is like super happy, but they wanted the title. So they lost the first place, I think, two or three matches, uh, match days before the last one. So they were, you know, on their way to winning the title. Then they fought back to second place. And then in the last match day where everyone play at the same time. So, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. give any advantage to anyone. They actually won the first division because they won their match. Um... The other team that was second place won their match as well was America. But they won it with one more goal. They won it with goal difference. And it was a goal in the 100th minute. It was a penalty kicked in a Panenka style. So you get the title with a one, like... Uh, injury time goal in a Panenka style penalty, which is the penalty that gives you the title. I mean, if you have a screenwriter that writes you that and say, hey, you, I got a great movie for us to make, you're going to read that and you're going to think, dude, this is not real. Come on, make me something that people can believe. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. I've, I, I saw the penalty. I'm like, there's no way he's going to take a Panenka here. 
Yeah, he took a panic. And then it gets even better because the captain of the team who raised the trophy, who lifted the trophy, is one of the three survivors, one of the three players that survived the crash. He still plays for Chapecoense and he's now the captain. And after having survived the plane crash, he's lifting the trophy of Brazil's second division. I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. that uh, to cope with that mentally, that just must be amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's really astounding. Really astounding that they've gone through all of that. Uh, and I guess everybody in Brazil was delighted to see that. Yeah, everyone was delighted. I mean, the whole media was just praising them and, you know, welcome back to the first division. It's just really, really sweet and nice to see something like that. Okay, and it looks like uh, it looks like your boys Flamingo. Oh, they could do it. They could do it. They play tonight. They play tonight. Um, so Inter, Inter, Inter are still top, right? Inter is still top. Um, they have four points difference, but they're still going to face each other. So technically, it could be one point difference. The third place that was still in the fight lost yesterday. This is so, Atletico Mineiro. Atletico Mineiro. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much between Inter and Flamengo now. And they both play tonight, not against each other. But uh, let's talk about it tomorrow, maybe. Okay. <laughs> because Flamengo play Vasco, who is their biggest rival. So oh. I'm not feeling very lucky. <laughs> yeah, but Vasco are terrible this season, so you're okay. Vasco is terrible this season. They're fighting against relegation. And Flamengo hasn't lost a home match to Vasco in 16 years. But this is the kind of thing that Flamengo <laughs> loves doing, you know? Like losing that one match that you know you're going to win. Uh, just going back to that final for two seconds and yeah. I, I promise we'll end it there. But um, I think um, Kaka Kaladze played in that team. So, oh, the Champions League one. Yeah, the Champions yeah. League one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think he did. It, did you know now, and I think I've oh. got this right, I think he's the mayor of Tbilisi. Yeah, he's, he's like a true? politician. That, yeah, he's definitely... Wow. It, yeah. So Shevchenko, well, Shevchenko did go in. Oh, that's true. It's quite, quite a clever Milan team, that. Quite a clever one, indeed. Uh, Apart from Dida. <laughs> sorry, Joanne. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I don't like him. I never did. Me too. Uh, okay, that's lovely. Thank you very much, all. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to give the people what they want. And what they want is more Thomas Bergenio. <laughs> so here we are back again after his successful MC Mets uh, MC Mets FC Mets uh, history um, uh, Thibaut Lamatra and I hope I'm pronouncing that right uh, sent me a tweet uh, Tomas saying been listening to the podcast for years but I've never laughed as hard as I did when Thomas Bergignon shared his love for MC Mets and for Natasha and for his future wife please have him on again in the future uh, fel- uh, welcome, Thibault. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. So, Ian, listen to you. I, I, like I said, I want to give the fans what they want. Uh, for, for once, uh, Ian is listening <laughs> to someone. <laughs> the big question, uh, Tomas, is have you let the success go to your head? So, uh, what did you say? The bit, like, have you let the success of the podcast, of last week's podcast, have you let that success go to your head? 
Of course, of course, and mm -hmm. uh, but I had to be careful because, I'm, uh, as I said last week, I'm I'm planning for my my wedding, and unfortunately, I I won't share with you guys the the date and uh, and uh, the location of the wedding because I don't want all my fans to, nah. to to come to the wedding because of the COVID restrictions. We we are limited to a certain number of people, so <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. You have you spent the week like signing autographs and like posing for selfies with fans and that sort of thing. Yeah, and just afterward, I woke up. You know, in my, <laughs> in my dreams, I was signing autographs. But <laughs> okay, let's get to the real question: Why are Marseille fans reported to have clashed with police at the club's training ground? Wow, that's uh, that's one simple question. That's a very simple question, and I expect it's not a very simple answer. No, the the answer is quite uh, it's quite complex because what we know for sure is that uh, last Saturday. Approximately 300 people representing various uh, uh, supporters group of uh, Olympique de Marseille, uh, they gathered at the, at the training ground of the club, uh, La Commanderie, uh, where the players uh, and the coach, uh, back then it was still uh, Villas-Boas, they, they, they had gathered to prepare their Saturday night game uh, versus Rennes. Uh, home game versus Rennes, important game. And uh, it seemed that the, those supporters group, they had prepared their protests some days in advance. And on, on the Friday evening, they had uh, sent messages to their members, uh, proposing them to, to gather at the training center to, to protest against the bad sporting results and also to protest against the the top executives of the club, one of them in particular being the president, Jacques-Henri Hérault. They want Hérault to, to resign and, uh, and they also wanted the players to, what do you say, to, <laughs> to, to, to move on the pitch and to change the situation because Marseille had been in, a, in a four losses in a row in, in January. Overall, the, but it's it's complex because uh, they, so they gathered. It seemed that the, the situation uh, degenerated. There's some supporters through, um, how do you call it? Um, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the word in English? The, those are pyro... Oh, the pyrotechnics. pyrotechnics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seemed that... The, the, the situation uh, degenerated with, with some uh, supporters throwing pyrotechnics at the, at the gate of the training center. And next to the gate, there are some trees. And accidentally, perhaps, as a collateral, some uh, trees got in, into fire. And of course, the image is, uh, is, is really impressive, but we don't know if it was on purpose or not. Some supporters also broke into the, the, the training center. They wanted to perhaps to discuss with, uh, with some players. It seemed that uh, Tovin and Payet were the, the, the players they wanted to discuss with, but they, they faced with Villas-Boas and uh, with uh, also Alvaro González, the Spanish uh, defender. We don't really know what happened, but it seemed that they, they got some, um, they threw some, some things at them. Alvaro got slightly injured. They also broke or damaged some, some material at the, at the, uh, there. The club said it, it, the damages will cost uh, several hundred uh, thousand euros, so it's not, uh, it's not nothing. 
And then the police intervened, uh, arrested some some of them, and um, uh, and the players, the, the staff, and also some uh, uh, some people working for the club. They were in the training center, and uh, they were not. They they were. They felt they were not safe uh, to to play the game that night. And uh, the league took the decision to to postpone the game versus uh, versus Rennes. What is interesting is that so 14 people got uh, arrested and some of them um, faced a judge uh, back on Monday. What is quite interesting is that they're they're pretty young. They're from 20 to to 30 years old. They came not only from Marseille. It's an interesting fact about Marseille is that it's a very popular club in France with supporters all around France. And those guys, those young guys, they came from different parts of France to, to protest uh, uh, against the, the club. And so they got arrested. Most of them, they, they never had any problem uh, with, the, with justice in the past. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not like they are hooligans. It's not like they are professional hooligans who, who came to with the... We don't know yet if they had really the intention to, to break or to damage things at, at the club. And it seems that the people that they arrested so far are not the leaders of this uh, protest. So it, perhaps in the coming days, in the coming weeks, the, the leaders and perhaps the leaders of the supporter groups, uh, they will also have to face justice. But so far, it seems that it, it was like a, a, a protest who got uh, degenerate, which de- uh, degenerated. Mm. Was there any particular reason why they were originally targeting Tovan and Paye? Uh, no, on their performances we, uh, or uh, yes, I think we're, I think we, we we should ask those those supporters. But this season, any what is really weird is that the, the the bad sporting results of Olympique de Marseille started very recently, uh, mid December. Uh, over the past ten games, uh, Marseille lost six games, drew two times, and won two times so it's it's not that bad overall this season marseille uh, they were now they rank ninth in the league but they still have two more games to play uh, they only played 21 games uh, versus 23 games for the other team so they, they they still have this possibility to to regain some spots in the in the ranking Overall, they, they also, at the beginning of the season, they beat uh, Paris Saint-Germain, they beat Monaco, they drew with Lille, they drew with, with uh, Lyon. So the results in, uh, in Ligue 1 are not that bad. The, the main problem came from the Champions League, where the results were, were awful. Mm. <clears throat> the first four games resulted in, uh, in losses, and Olympique de Marseille broke a new record in the Champions League with 13 losses in a row in Champions League over three uh, Champions League campaigns. So that's a new record for, the, for Marseille. You have to know that Marseille is the only French club, uh, French club who, who ever won the Champions League. So the <laughs> until this season... Marseille fans were, were really proud to say that uh, Marseille is the only club to have won the Champions League in France. And now they're also the only club in Champions League to have 13 losses in a row in the competition. So that was, I think that fueled the, the resentment of the, of the fans. And over the past months, what happened is that also the, the attitude, the behavior of André Villas-Boas 
you can discuss. You can discuss. There is a big debate about uh, the behavior of André Villas-Boas, who increasingly is known to be a frank person and to speak his mind. And But over the past month, he, he revealed or confirmed during press conferences that the relationship between Tauvin and Payet was not good. It's true that, that, that they had a, an argument after a specific game in, in Ligue 1, basically uh, Payet uh, blaming Tauvin for being too personal, uh, playing for himself on the, on the field. Uh, Tauvin arguing back that uh, Payet had renegotiated his contract, accepting a, a lower salary uh, without telling the rest of the of the of the locker room, without of the, you know, because mm. the, the players, according to Tovin, the players should have had a union uh, um, front uh, uh, versus the, the the top executive to renegotiate their contracts and to accept lower uh, salaries due to the COVID situation. But it seems that uh, Payet did it on uh, on his side, on his own side. So, what is really weird is that Villas Boas basically confirmed. The, the tensions between the two players in front of the of the press. He also uh, basically said in, and, and told the press that he wouldn't continue at Olympique de Marseille next season. So every press conference of André Villas-Boas over the past month was was unreal because every press conference he was revealing almost a secret from the from the locker room or, or something that you're not used to to hear from a, from a top coach right? yeah it's an unusual thing for a coach to do all right um, so the you have all of this violence at the training ground you got the fans you know turning up to to do all that damage um, you got players arguing and then of course you have a, a coach resigning and yes in and, the middle of his in the middle of his press conference. And it's uh, and and that's surreal because a few or uh, the week before, basically Villas Boas told everyone, "Okay, I'm I'm not the future of Olympique de Marseille." Basically, saying my contract is ending next June. I I won't be at Olympique de Marseille next season. Therefore, I'm perhaps I'm not the best person to to lead the recruitment uh, during this uh, mm. winter transfer season, and we. Everybody knows that uh, the person now in charge of recruitment at Olympique de Marseille is uh, Pablo Longoria, young uh, Spanish uh, guy who got hired last summer. He's only 33 years old. And what is really surprising is that so last week, Villas-Boas says that, and then on Tuesday, he says that, oh, this morning I, I hear that uh, the club has recruited Olivier Cham, French midfielder, who was playing at uh, Celtic. Uh, I specifically said no to that player. Therefore, I estimate that there is a breach of the gentleman agreement I had with uh, Pablo Longoria. Therefore, I resign. I'm, uh, I don't want to continue at Olympique de Marseille. I'm not asking any money. I just want to leave. The interesting thing is that in France, uh, perhaps it's particular to, to France, but it, you know that when you sign, especially in the case of Villas-Boas, he had a two-year contract with the club. So mm -hmm. it's a short-term contract. You cannot resign from a short-term contract. You, it's either you get fired or there is a mutual agreement with your employer, the club, to, to put an end to the contract. So even if uh, Filas Boas said in press conference, I'm resigning, 
It's not that simple. He cannot resign. So they have to they have to find either an agreement or the club has to fire him. So and it seems that the club chose the the that way because they, for the moment. Um, Villas-Boas is on the side. He was uh, suspended by the club until probably in the coming in the coming days, in the coming weeks, uh, a negotiation with him where probably the club will announce him that his contract is uh, terminated. Some people say that the club may perhaps sue Villas-Boas to 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 ask him for for some money for the what they estimate some communication damage that uh, that uh, Villas-Boas did. Seems a bit petty, no? A bit what? A bit petty. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I'd, 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 just let him go. Let him move on. Get your next manager. That seems to be what what more Marseille should probably be concentrating on right now. The, the problem is, uh, who could be the next manager? Because now we are the the beginning of February. It seems that uh, Pablo Longoria, when uh, so last week when Villas Boas said, "I'm not the future of Olympique de Marseille," basically because there also were some back in December, they started Longoria started to dis- to discuss with uh, Villas Boas agents the possibility to extend his contract at Marseille. So it was back in December, but it seems that in January the discussions didn't didn't continue. Villas Boas says, "I'm not the future of Olympique de Marseille." So Pablo Longoria was already searching for a new coach, but for next season, it seemed that he he, he approached Valverde, he approached Favre, he approached uh, perhaps Sarri, and none of them is interested. Seems to be interested uh, by the the position, by the role right now. They could be interested in the role next next June, but not right now. So the problem for Olympique de Marseille is to find a solution to to finish the season the best they can. So last last night they were playing at Lens and they, there was this uh, this staff that they that they, they brought together with the, the, the trainer from the, the U23 from the from the, the academy. So are, are they gonna finish the season with this uh, this uh, this staff or are they gonna hire a short or short-term coach? So far it seems unrealistic that that a big name such as Favre or such as Valverde will arrive in Marseille right now. Okay. Well, and, and just just to, yeah. to 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 finish on uh, uh, to open the, the discussion on a new level, uh, the Marseille fans there are some Marseille fans are really unhappy with the current board at at, at Marseille. They are not even targeting the the, the owner Frank, uh, the U.S. businessman Frank McCourt that much. They are specifically targeting the president of the club, Jacques-Henri Hérault. And it seems that, you know, it's like two worlds, two worlds are colliding. The, the world of the new football business with some executives. Jacques-Henri Hérault doesn't come from the football, uh, from the football industry, is not from Marseille. And for some Marseille fans, that's uh, that's not acceptable. It seems that it's not acceptable. So whatever Jacques-Henri does or, or says, you know, is not seen as relevant for those uh, Marseille fans. And on the other on the other hand, you have also some communication uh, from the club saying that these people 
those fans are not real fans or not the, the true fans of Olympique de Marseille. It's not, but you know, in Marseille there is this passionate fan base. Uh, imagine you have a, a stadium of sixty thousand uh, seats. Until a few seasons ago, you had forty-two thousand season holders, uh, season ticket holders. And most of them are hardcore fans, and you have to also to take that into account. You can't have only uh, a family and uh, VIPs at Stade Vélodrome. You have also to to accept those uh, those ultras. And it, it, Marseille is not the only case this season in France where the ten, there are tensions between the the fans and the, the executives. We we've seen the same situation in Bordeaux where the club also uh, uh, is the, the ownership of a, of a U.S. investment fund. We also uh, have seen tensions in Nantes, uh, also in Saint-Étienne. What you have to know is that in France, the fans uh, are not involved in the decision process in their mm. club, not, not as in, in Germany. In Germany, you know that you can vote uh, in, uh, in, uh, at your club uh, general assembly. In some Spanish clubs, including Barcelona and, and Madrid, you can be a, a socio and you can, you can, you can make your voice uh, being heard, right? And it seems that today in France, the, the relationship between the hardcore fans and the clubs are broken. It has been also worsened by COVID because the, the fans, they cannot go to the stadiums and, and perhaps also express their frustration and also their joy. They, they cannot go to the stadium. They cannot gather. Before COVID, the security context in France was also difficult because of the terror attacks, mm. because of the yellow vest uh, protests. So most of the time, some uh, the supporters they couldn't they couldn't travel to 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 other stadiums in France. They also there was many many restrictions for the fans to to uh, attend football games in France, and it seems that. The COVID situation had made it, has made it worse, and also the sporting situation was the, the, the cherry on the cake, basically, in Marseille. Uh, I just like to distance myself from Frank McCourt, too. He's of no relation. <laughs> Although I do get, I get people hitting me up on Twitter whenever he does anything wrong, saying, hey, you know, resign or whatever. Like, I have some sort of power, but no, I'm afraid we just share a name. That's that's all we do. Uh, in other good news for French football, it sounds like the TV deal is coming along quite nicely. No, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, uh, Ian, are you are you watching any Netflix or Amazon Prime series right now? Uh, I'm watching How to Get Away with Murder. Ah. But the, uh, in France, the, the best uh, series right now is how to get uh, away from this uh, bad TV deal with the Japo <laughs> and how to get a new broadcaster for, for Ligue 1. Uh, yeah, it has been... So just to, to, to give our listeners some, some insight or some, uh, some context about what is going on in France, back in 2018, the, the Ligue... Uh, organized a new tender for the broca- the broadcasting right for the period 2020 to 2024 and the tender was organized in such a way that it would bring in a new competitor and the aim the ultimate aim was to 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 pass the 1 billion euros mark uh, overall in uh, in domestic uh, money and to 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 fill in the gap with the other european leagues with the with the big four 
And they succeeded. They succeeded by, by bringing in a new competitor, MediaPro, the Spanish media company. And overall, the, the TV deal was 1.2 billion euros. So every, the, all the French clubs, the leagues, they were ecstatic about this amount because right now the amount was 750 uh, um, million euros. But the problem is, and, and last season, you know that because of COVID, the, the French clubs and the league, they decided to, to stop the season. And one of the arguments was, don't worry, let, let's stop the season uh, and let's focus on next season with the start of this new gigantic TV deal with uh, Media Pro. And so the new season started in August with the new channel launched by Media Pro, uh, Telefoot. And the, so MediaPro paid their, sh their share, their first share, back in August. And early October, Raume Rujes, the president of MediaPro, in, in an article to, in L'Equipe, he says, I, I want to renegotiate the price of the contract with, uh, with the LFP, and I want, we won't pay again. So in October, three months after the start of the, of the new deal, the deal was over. And uh, so in December, the LFP and MediaPro, they, they sealed an agreement and uh, MediaPro giving the rights back mm -hmm. to, to the league. In mid-January, the league organizes a new tender and the results of the new tender were this uh, last, last Monday. And it was unsuccessful. Unsuc unsuccessful, why? Because... Canal Plus, which is the historical broadcaster of, uh, of Ligue 1 in France and the only TV company who could be ready to invest on, uh, and, and spending some money on the TV rights uh, right now, didn't participate in the, in the tender. And Bean Sports, who has a, a distribution deal with Canal Plus, so basically they are working together. Mm -hmm. Bean Sports didn't participate in the in the in the tender neither. So the only companies who, who made an offer were DAZN, Amazon, and Discovery. But none of the offers were was big enough to be accepted by the by the LFP. So right now the question for the LFP is, what are we gonna do? Because what Canal Plus wants. It's, it's very specific. Canal Plus wants the league to organize entirely a new tender with all the lots that, that, were, that were at stake back in 2018 when the LFP only organized a tender on the Media Pro lots. And Canal Plus wants everything back on the table and they don't want the LFP to organize what could be the second solution. The second solution could be for the LFP to enter direct one-on-one -on -one negotiations with some broadcasters. But Canal Plus says, no, we, we don't want that because it's, it's illegal. So there is this legal fight going on between the LFP and Canal Plus. But the, the, the reality is that today, we don't know what uh, the, the, the solution will be. There is no money, uh, no broadcast money uh, coming in 
anymore for the clubs. The clubs are anticipating 1.3 billion euros losses at the end of the season. So you can feel, you know, this mm-hmm. emergency. It's an emergency situation for French football and for the French club. We have to find a solution to this TV deal whether it is with Canal+, Plus, whether it is with someone else, but someone has to buy those rights and spend some big money. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult, perhaps, for, for some clubs to, to finish the season. And until last night, until last night, there was no certainty about who would broadcast Marseille versus PSG this coming Sunday. We are talking about Le Classique, the, the, the biggest game of the season. Mm-hmm. And until last night, we were there was no certainty about who would broadcast it. And in the end, the game will be co-broadcast by Telefoot, so the MediaPro channel. As I said, MediaPro is not spending any money anymore, but keeps broadcasting the games. That's quite unusual and it will be co-broadcast by canal plus so you can see like a sign of goodwill by mm-hmm. the lfp to enter the negotiation with uh, with their historical broadcaster okay so they, and, uh, we will get to see it this weekend yeah yeah, yeah. but for international uh, uh, watchers no problem but for french uh, uh, watchers, there was there was a big doubt. Just to to give you a funny story about uh, this uh, this tender, which was uh, the result of the tender last uh, last uh, Monday. There was this group of I don't know how to call them. It's uh, they are the, a group of listeners to a French radio. They have an active Twitter account. Basically, okay. they are making they are making jokes and videos on 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 Twitter and and, and social media, and they basically offered officially last Monday, they, they, they went to the league as the other uh, broadcasters and they made an official offer to buy the league and rights for 156 euros. Uh, <laughs> and and they, got, they got an official receipt from, uh, from uh, the, the, the legal team organizing the, the bid. So that gives you also an idea right now uh, people are making fun of french football people are making fun of the french league and uh, it would be really good for french football if this uh, situation uh, would end quite quickly it would probably help too if you get a good le classique this weekend to yeah to kind of get people going as well exactly uh the it looks like the pochettino effect already over they're already losing games Although not last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, PSG. So, because as, as we said, uh, this coming Sunday is Marseille versus uh, PSG. Marseille last night almost or could have have won in Lens. They were they were leading two mm. nil uh, at halftime in Lens with the first goal of uh, Arkadius Milik, the the new uh, striker of of Marseille. I enjoyed Tau- that, I enjoyed Tauvin's goal too. That was quite nice. Yeah, it was yeah. like a karate kid uh, goal, huh? mm-hmm. and uh, but unfortunately in the second half, Marseille uh, they were not uh, how can I say that fit enough, and 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 Lens came back, and finally it was two two. In the same time, PSG they easily won against uh, Nîmes, which is the, the 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 last team in the in the table, three 0 But last weekend, last Sunday. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain lost very surprisingly in Lorient and Lorient is ranked was ranked 19 in the in the table uh, last Sunday so it was quite a shock to see uh, PSG lose quite logically in uh, in Lorient 
And even last night, the PSG team won quite easily, but they were not impressive. Uh, Nîmes had a, had a good second half. They had uh, overall they had 15 shots on goal versus Paris Saint Germain. So it, you know PSG is not like a, not very secure right now. And overall, even though the the, the system has, has changed, uh, um, Pochettino is uh, is playing with a four four two, which is a novelty uh, for 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 this uh, PSG. But mm-hmm. overall the the image or the, the sensation, the collective sensation of, of Paris Saint-Germain is not better than uh, than under Tuchel. So we we don't know. We don't know how how the next uh, days, the next weeks, um, what what will be the truth of the of the next weeks. But it seems that, uh, that there is no certainty for this PSG who will face uh, Barcelona in only uh, twelve days. Uh, there is no certainty. I still believe that this group of players needs to be challenged and every time there is a big challenge to uh, in front of them they are able to get back together and to to give their best collectively so i still have hope for this psg that that will see this uh, this good collective psg uh, in 12 days in barcelona but right now in ligue 1 it's not reassuring uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask before I go, but uh, and he, how's Raymond Dominic getting on? Is he okay? Is he doing all right? <laughs> Raymond is uh, is perfectly fine. Oh, good to hear. If yeah. if, if there was a, a punchline uh, championship or punchline uh, challenge in Ligue 1, I think uh, FC Nantes and Raymond Domenech would uh, would top the the, the table. It's a, it's a pleasure to to listen to Raymond Domenech uh, every every week. For instance, la- last night he was asked by a, a journalist. So you have to know that over the past ten years, Raymond Domenech was a a pundit, a commentator on on, on French uh, sports channel, and and notably for L'Equipe uh, TV channel. And back then, he was working with that particular journalist who left L'Equipe to join Media Pro Telefoot. And uh, and so this journalist asked Raymond Domenech last night, Raymond, uh, the results at FC Nantes, have, uh, you, you've you've been coaching that team for six games now, and uh, and the results are not not quite good do you regret uh, leaving your retirement to to join the FC Nantes uh, because the situation is not good and uh, Raymond Domenech told him ah you know it's like some journalist who left their previous job to join uh, (laughs) Telefoot because everybody knows that Telefoot is going to end someday soon right so so basically Raymond told him you know you're in the same situation boy so but uh, yeah so Raymond broke a record already at FC Nantes oh that's good Uh, yeah he is the first coach in uh, FC Nantes history not to have won any of his first five uh, games uh, with FC Nantes yesterday was his uh, uh, sixth uh, game they drew 1-1 at uh, Saint-Etienne so this season Saint-Etienne and FC Nantes two historical clubs of Ligue 1 are in quite bad shape the good things for FC Nantes and there is hope is that it seems that this team is playing better and better it's not impressive and Raymond Domenech is not you know the, the most f- the flashiest uh, manager in, uh, in French football for sure but it seems that FC Nantes is more and more consistent so yesterday they could have won they could have won they missed the opportunity to lead 2-0 in Saint-Etienne and finally they took a goal and it was a, it was a draw 
There's still hope for, for FC Nantes to save their spot in Ligue 1, especially because the last two teams in the, in the, in the table, which are Nîmes and Dijon, they are quite, they are four points behind FC Nantes and they seem that they are already relegated. Okay. Thomas, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Talk to you soon. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Joanna Porig and Tomas. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so, podcast at onefootball.com.